0: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping
1: and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This is a hat trick podcast. Oh, lovely.
0: I'm Janet Ellis and this is Twice Upon a Time, where each week I invite a guest to come and chat with me about their favorite childhood book. They often bring along their own battered copy. This is a podcast to celebrate that magical book which cast a spell over us and often still has us in its thrall. My guest today on Twice Upon a Time is Diane Morgan, actress, comedian, writer, presenter. Have I left anything out?
1: Oh, I don't think so. It's good. And you are all else. those
0: things to a magnificent degree, may oh, I say.
1: I didn't know it was called Twice Upon a Time. Didn't you? No. Do you approve? Absolutely. I that's did. great. It's <laughs> that hard to come up with a podcast
0: name, isn't it? It is. It's very hard. and But once you've got it, it's like naming a dog. You think that's the name forever. That's the one. That
1: is the one. What were the others that fell by the wayside? Let's not go there because, okay. you know,
0: the sweepings off the table <laughs> are for other people to take, aren't they? <laughs> We've got the best
1: one. Yeah. And tell us which book you have chosen, Dan. I've chosen The Iron Man by Ted Hughes. Because when I was asked to come on this show and uh, you have to pick your favourite childhood book, I thought, what is it? What was my favourite childhood book? I Meg and Mogg, can't talk about that very much. I loved Raymond Briggs, but I thought everyone will choose Raymond Briggs. And then I thought, what was that book? I loved, and I couldn't remember, I didn't know the title. And I said to my partner, Ben, I was like, what's that book? That, the book with the, the, you know, the children's book. There's like a big man, a big iron man on a beach. I he was like, oh, the, the iron man. has <laughs> got the iron man. He got it from that
0: anyway. I was like,
1: who wrote it? Do you know? And he said, Ted Hughes. I said, oh, like, like Ted Hughes. And he said, no, it was Ted, Ted Hughes wrote it. I had no idea. It was written by Poet Larry and Ted Hughes. But when you I were, just obviously had amazing taste as a child. You, you did have amazing taste as a child in all sorts of ways. But yeah. to, to be specific about this, yeah. can you remember when you got your copy then? About seven, I reckon. Because my parents used to take me to the local library in Bolton, in Farnworth. And it was a great library because it was all completely wood, wooden. And you went in and you could smell the wood It was so cosy and lovely and my parents got me into reading and they would take me there, I think it was once every two weeks, to choose two books and it became such a big treat, this choosing the two books in this lovely library and eventually they they ripped all the wood out of the library and made it into some plastic library, which I'm livid about. (laughs) But that's where I I chose the Iron Man, probably probably. My dad must have gone, read this one. But I can't imagine me choosing this book. So did you have your own copy ever? I don't remember keeping a copy, so it probably was a library book. So when, way, when you awesome.
0: when you got your library books home, yeah. where, where did you take them to read? What was your favourite spot?
1: Oh, anyway, I didn't really have a favourite spot, but I loved it. And uh, I just can't get over that it was Ted Hughes that wrote, <laughs> that wrote this book. And... Uh, I didn't read it again until 40 years later, the other week. Did you remember it? I did, because I thought, I don't know how much of this I'll remember. I could only remember tiny bits of it. And then I started to read it. And when he's on the beach in bits, falls down the cliff, and the hand goes, crawls over to the eye and picks the eye up. I remember that and it was thrilling, remembering all that. It took me right back to being a tiny child. And who else was in your household then? My mum, my dad, my older brother, yeah. Was he a reader too? My brother, I don't remember him read, seeing him read, other than maybe smash hits. (laughs) 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 But I'm sure he did, I just never, I never took any notice of him. But
0: presumably he got, I won't say frog march, that's not quite right, encouraged to the library too.
1: Well, my brother was six years older, so I imagine he was, you know too cool to do that but I was certainly frog marched but <laughs> willingly
0: yeah and I have that memory with libraries too do and, you? and also being allowed to choose a book because yeah. obviously in school you're not allowed to choose a book or very right. seldom or if you are it's off a particular shelf which is appropriate to your age yeah so you go into a library and people just go there's some books yeah. have a look
1: they made it into such a treat
0: yeah it no, was I a really that.
1: clever thing to do yeah, and I
0: moved around quite a lot when I was a child. And wherever we ended up, my dad was in the army, we would find, it's usually the NAFI or the TOC-H. They ran libraries for us.
1: So it was like you. There's something sort of, really comforting about a yes. library as well, isn't there? Especially yes. when it's wooden. Because <laughs> when they ripped all that wood out, bastards. Yes. When they ripped all that wood out and put plastic in, it was just suddenly soulless and it lost this lovely warmth. But I'll always remember it. Loved it. And have you have you read any other
0: books like this when you were a child or does this uh, one stand out because it This one really unique? stood
1: out and I don't know why because it's quite dark. I suppose Raymond Briggs, I loved Raymond Briggs, and Raymond Briggs has a lot of sort of darkness as well, a lot of poignancy. Maybe that's what drew me to it, I don't know, because it wasn't just out-and-out out comedy, which I loved. There was a sort of spookiness to it. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because... One thing that struck me, I hadn't read the book before. Had you not? No. And
0: like you, thought, gosh, you know, Ted Hughes. Yeah. <laughs> the man who wrote Pike, three inches <laughs> long, perfect. That Ted Hughes. <laughs> but I was struck, yes, by the darkness, but also, and obviously this is not to cast any mm. that there isn't much or any humour in it. No, but you would not say, unlike Raymond Briggs, which I think has a sort of lateral yeah. side eye, doesn't it, mm. to a lot of life, which is... If you're reading Raymond Briggs' Two Children, is enjoyable as an adult mm. reader too, because he just gently winks at you sometimes through yeah. the prose. But I didn't get that from this. Yeah. This well, is
1: uh, except well, The bit on the beach at the start, I think, where the hand is picking up the eye and the, the <laughs> leg is, you know, walking across the beach on it's so on that kind of visual thing he, he paints is was quite funny to me, I think, as a child. It certainly pulls no punches, does it? You are right in there. Yeah. It's like page
0: two, This, this yeah. you know, the Iron Man is this, disintegrated.
1: Yeah, this huge black Iron Man looming down off this cliff. He paints it so amazingly well. Because I, I don't think I'd ever read anything like that.
0: No, and I don't think there are many books of this era that are like that too, mm, because I yeah. think that it comes from a time when you know, children's writing was actually having rather a heyday, you know, the time of the the Puffin books, you know, which were really saying, let me show you worlds, let me show you extraordinary worlds. But the way that he goes into fantasy has its great iron feet firmly rooted in the present day Mm. rather than some other time, some other world. You know, he he writes what he knows, in other words.
1: Yeah. I think I was always aware as a child of being patronised as well by people, and by authors. So if there was a book that was a little bit passionising to me, I'd really felt it, whereas this was like he was talking to me like an adult, you know, like another human. Do you like his poetry? Never read any of his poetry. I've never read isn't that awful, no, Ted. It's awful. I'm so sorry. And I don't awful. live in Bloomsbury. <laughs> I lived literally, like, seconds away from where he lived. Oh, he undergrad. lived all over
0: the place, didn't he? They were constantly moving. Mm. Really? Is there a blue plaque on the wall? There is. Is there? Yeah,
1: yeah. I think he lived there with Sylvia Plath. He did. I, I, all I know about him is that is this tragedy with Sylvia Plath. So I've always thought, oh, a bit grim, you know. I've, I've never particularly gotten into poetry, you know. Actually, I think it's
0: one of the hard things, isn't it? When you you come back to a book as an adult, and even if it isn't a book that I loved as a child, you know, I'm reading it it, with the inner child very present, you know, Mm. because I'm aware that this is a story not intended fully for me. But with Ted Hughes, and probably uniquely amongst the writers we've talked about, his life dominates so much for Mm. us in the present day. Mm. It's absolutely impossible to separate out. Yeah. Absolutely impossible
1: to yeah, imagine. I was amazed he'd written a children's book. Yeah, he wrote several. He wrote did several. He? Yes, he did. He wrote a sequel to this. I really should have <laughs> done my research. No, no, no. He wrote, so, not, that's it, all up it, to you. That's fine. Sequel? Yes. What's Iron, the sequel Iron, called? Iron Woman. Iron Man 2. The Iron, Iron, Iron Woman. Woman. <laughs> <laughs> I should really read it.
0: Well, yeah, if you like this one, let's, let's see how that yeah, goes. Well,
1: I, do you know what? I read it and I thought, what did I see in this? <laughs> I mean, the bit on the beach, I think, is my favourite bit, where the hand and the eyeball and everything. And then they set a trap for him. The little boy sets a trap for him. He falls in.
0: Yeah, the little boy Hogarth. Yeah. It's a good name, God!
1: Yeah, it is. Maybe my book, I don't remember my book looking like this. My book was bigger and it had more pictures.
0: Well, the illustrations in the copy I've got are by Andrew Davidson. And they're quite dark. And also, you know, if you were... Seven when you read it, that's quite little to take all this on. He constantly refers to the giant and later the dragon in terms of things that would have been you know, he was writing this for his children essentially. Things that would have been around them, so you know, his head is as big as a bedroom, that kind mm. of thing. So you do get quite a vivid picture of them being probably not even read to, you, but just recited to by Ted Hughes, which is an extraordinary thought. And actually yeah. I've I've listened as part of my research, I've listened to him reading it.
1: I nearly and did this morning. I thought, I thought, shall I click on that? And I didn't. But I thought he's I, got a great voice, doesn't
0: he? Well, he he has. I mean, it's not you know he's not an actor, so he's it's pretty doer actually if mm. you want a better word. But I think what it brings is the sense of him talking to his two kids. You know that mm. that kind of personal thing.
1: Did did your parents read to you? Yeah, yeah. My dad read to me. And I loved that. It was something really comforting about it. And he'd do different voices. And we had a very similar sense of humour. So he knew what would tickle me. And, oh, yeah, I, I love being read to. Do you like being read to now? Yeah, I do. I do. But no one will do it. <laughs> I need to hire someone, don't I? Have you got to be blind for that?
0: I, yeah, I don't think it's a qualification. I, th- I think you... Uh... Probably could get someone to be yeah, you. Yeah, I could get someone in
1: if I paid them but, enough. Yeah, yeah, but
0: but then whether they could recreate the atmosphere of your childhood bedroom <laughs> sufficiently not. might be slightly
1: awkward and creepy. I imagine. <laughs> well, but do you know what? This the dark <laughs> that I was really surprised by how dark it was as a seven-year-old. What I was drawn to, but then I thought I, my mom and dad would let me watch Tales of the Unexpected, so I thought if that had sort of primed me. That's probably what made me think. Oh, the Iron Man's fine. I've done tales of the unexpected. It probably is. Yes, there's you know. a little
0: little sidebar there of everybody, yeah. everybody listening to this going. That explains a lot.
1: And the, you know, in the mid seventies, late seventies, television and everything was so dark. It's true. It was yeah. really like terrifying. They weren't scared of scaring children back then.
0: No, it's true. And and they also let authors and playwrights and people like that. They gave them free
1: reign, free really, reign. didn't they? Yes. Yeah. There was
0: great creative freedom. That's my sense of that time. Yeah. And obviously, I'm a bit older, but watching things like Dennis Potter and thinking, yeah. now would that have gone through several incarnations before it hit the screen? Because a lot of his writing, or even Alan Bleasdale, you know, it's mm. pretty close to the bone. Yeah but they did give people huge creative freedom. So we've now got a plea for libraries yeah. <laughs> and creative freedom for writers, yes. which exactly. I'm happy to support and wear, well, wear G- T-shirts G- accordingly.
1: Well, G- TV programmes as well, you know, they were much darker, weren't they? There'd always be a I kind think of dark were- element to it.
0: I think... I think they were probably, um, because it was still a fairly new medium, yeah. they were probably still exploring a lot. And I guess if you explore, you do bump into things that you didn't yeah. expect to find. Yeah. So they probably just showed everything because everything was up for grabs yeah. and nobody was p- particularly filtering.
1: No, no one said, oh, I think this might dramatise kids. Exactly. Yeah, because I, so, yeah, I did do a, what you like.
0: Well, I did a programme <laughs> called Jigsaw, and we had a character on that called Nosy Bonk. Yes, and Nosey Bolt was—he was based apparently. And I, I took this on board as though it was gospel. He was based on a, a, I think, a Swiss cartoon character. Basically, he's a white mask with more of a proboscis I than him. a nose, yeah. right? And because I was a grown woman doing the show, you know, it seemed to me absolutely fine. But I have <laughs> met legions of people, and I should be paying for their therapy apparently because they're still traumatized. What, because it was so
1: creepy, yeah.
0: Yeah, because actually, Benny Hill, like he, he sort of chased me about quite a bit as well. Oh my God, really? Are <laughs> yeah, I mean, you a Benny Hill girl? No, no. I mean you that indigestion. I was just down the street.
1: that was yeah.
0: <laughs> what was Benny Hill doing chasing you right? No, I no nosy not chased me like Benny Hill. Oh, that, yeah. oh, that's not oh, as phew. interesting. And my reputation was in tatters for a moment there. <laughs> Goodness
1: me! I thought it was all coming out. <laughs> yeah, it really was.
0: Get started today at plushcare.com slash loss That's plushcare.com slash loss plushcare.com slash loss
1: People often ask me what my regular London pub is, but that assumes there's a pub I can easily return to, so please stop asking that. London Pub Reviews, written by Paul Ewan and featuring Tim Key. A hat-trick podcast. Did you save my seat? Why? I'm at a completely different pub now With different seats Catch up Available now Wherever you get your podcasts Drinking with dignity Yes sir Yes madam That's me all over
0: book, um, having not read it, and um, I don't know what I expected, but I I do actually like the poetry of Ted Hughes. But he's not known for what you might call his likeness of touch. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, he, my vision of him, weirdly, is not Bloomsbury. It's very much, you know, sort of Devon and the wilds. He was a really keen fisherman. He was, he was close to, you know, he was actually... Um, a very early advocate of not polluting the seas. He was, you know, a, a man of the soil as well. Yes. And also, obviously, a Yorkshireman. So he had his feet stretched across mm. the country. I don't know what I was expecting with this, but what I got was quite a shock to me, yeah. I have to
1: say. because to me as well. i I've completely forgotten half I'm of it. And also reading it as an adult
0: and reading that bit about, you know, the the, the giant Iron Man appears from nowhere, vast, uh, sort of eyes like headlights. And at first unseen by the little boy who becomes something of a champion for him, he walks into space. He, he doesn't realise he's on the edge of a cliff, falls off and breaks up. This is the bit you've been talking about with all of him, his constituent parts scattered. And the eyes can obviously still see, even though they're lying about. So the hands grab the eyes. And I read this recently as an adult. Not, oh, my gosh, <laughs> That's kind of horrible. I
1: love that, though. (laughs) I think that's what kids like, though, isn't it? They like that gory song. Oh, my God, the hands grab the eye.
0: Yeah, and then the the two hands, supported by an eye each, go and wrestle the legs into place.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I've I've written it down,
0: actually, because the two hands, with their eyes guiding the leg, twisting it this way and that, as a rider guides a horse. Now, just, just as a weird little, listening to Ted Hughes read it, he wrote it for his children. But he said that initially he had this large drum, which was a real sort of old-fashioned thing, you know, literally a skin stretched over. So when he was telling them this story, he did it to the beat of this large drum. And he says in this interview, and I'm quoting here, he said, and then one of them, and I think it was the girl. Fainted. That's how he refers to his daughter. The girl. The girl. I think (laughs) it was the girl said, can we not have the drum? It's scary. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> That's great. Please, Daddy, can we not have the drum tonight? Yeah, That's scary. <laughs> <'Cause> no, <I'm, laughs> we're having the drum. Because <laughs> it, it strikes me
0: that this may have started and he's not around to ask. This may have started as something he was telling his kids. And I don't know if you've ever read to children, but they are very keen on detail. So if if somebody, for example, jumps off a wall, they want to know how high and therefore they want to know if they came to any danger. You're you're doing it as they jumped off the wall and they ran and they're going, what was the wall like? And in some of this book, I can feel Frieda and Nicholas, his children, saying, yes, but. Because he goes on to explain in a way that it just seems like a catch up to me. It's quite funny. I think if he was writing it. He would write the explanation into the Uh, text. He would set it in context. But if you're saying something aloud, like I say, you don't necessarily go into that sort of detail straight away. So he's got these these two little kids catching him out and making him explain. Do
1: you think to be a really good children's author you need to have kids?
0: No, no. I think you just need to remember being a child. Yeah, I I can't remember
1: anything. (laughs) I honestly
0: cannot remember, like tiny bits. Well, you know what, you, you can remember what it felt like to go into the library.
1: You can yeah, remember, I remember that. your dad
0: reading to you mm. and that sort of place of safety. I mean, it's such a broad question to mm. say, did you have a happy childhood? But mm. did, you, did you have a happy childhood? Were you OK at school? Did you get on with, you know with what? school?
1: I, I had a happy childhood until I went to school. I didn't realise that you had to go every single day. I thought you just went once and that was it. And when I realised you had to go every single day, I was never the same. I was always like a really cheerful, giggly baby, happy. And then I went to school and I was like, what? What? You have to do this every day. From that day forward, I was sort of a bit more morose. <laughs> did I, you didn't have any, I didn't enjoy it. Did you have any
0: teachers that, that rescued you from that?
1: Not really. Not, no, not until like sixth form. That's a long wait. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I couldn't believe how much suddenly these teachers would engage you and the students that were there were there to learn. I suddenly learned loads I, I caught up
0: well the only thing i can say to that is i'm glad it was that way around yeah
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah did start it like off blissfully yeah. in
0: in uh, year one and yeah. then because he, he he says he had these two teachers miss mcleod and miss main who introduced him to um people like gerald madley hopkins and t.s Eliot, and and he was also his older sister alwyn um loved poetry so he he did have that awakening mm. and it i suppose that's what you need at some point, isn't it? Whether you wait till sixth form or not, you need something which says... Well, that's
1: what my parents did with the library. I mean, if, if I hadn't had that, I don't know if I would have got into raising as much.
0: And apart from the turning point then with finding out that you could actually make choices and were listened to in sixth form, did you then realise that you wanted to perform or did that was that a little um, seed planted earlier?
1: I think I was 15 when I thought this is definitely what I want... do for the rest of my life. And I think it was when uh, I started doing drama at secondary school and we started to do improvisation. And I was always very, very, very shy, painfully shy, until we did drama. And then I discovered that you could be another person. And it was a revelation. I could be anyone. And I didn't have to be this shy girl. And I would become another person in front of the class. And they loved it, and I would get laughs, and I couldn't believe it. My whole world just opened up. It was an absolute revelation. And it I was fifteen. I thought, this, this is what I want to do, even if I'm not successful. This is the path.
0: And did it affect the attitude of them when you weren't in character? Then did you suddenly get, you know, like friends, or did you? Were your friends yeah, a pretty solid they thought, group? Oh,
1: she's funny. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah,
0: funny is cool. That's for sure. Yeah, it I is. didn't
1: realise the power of of. of being funny but the book is so
0: not I think it's that's why not, I'm fascinated it? Well, by it being your choice beach bit is,
1: the beach bit with the eyeballs the beach
0: bit is, ok but we, we'll then go on to the bits that aren't on the beach yeah, then, which yeah. are, um, you know um, this, this iron man uh, feeds himself by biting farm equipment in half loud noise effects, um, great radio yeah, I but, imagine uh, the
1: drum came into play yeah before it was banned. <laughs> yes. I would
0: love to hear it with a drum. I think it's ca- really sinister. And also I think, you know, obviously inevitably there's, there's Ted Hughes again, but it sort of humanises him a bit, doesn't it? That he yeah. was he had to listen to a small child, his own, to say, can you not beat the drum, Dad? <laughs> uh, yeah, because otherwise he becomes quite a monolithic figure, I think, in, yeah. in terms of his poetry and, and his life. You know, yeah. it's hard to get past that. So he's biting away at the farm things, and the farmers are all absolutely livid. And they they dig a trench, and the iron man falls into the trench. And it's um well, it's grassed over. Um, this this podcast is full of spoilers. We we go right to the end of every book <laughs> yeah. we talk about. Just no one's going to read this
1: now. Just they, well, think, it's only like 60 I hope they pages or something. Isn't it's,
0: it? Yeah, that's part of the attraction. No, it, it, is, it's, it is, isn't it? it is. Who doesn't
1: like a short book?
0: It is a short book, but it it does not it does not spare you so the the trap is then grassed over which which is you know all in quick time until eventually a picnicking family feel a rumble from the ground underneath and the iron hand comes up. You see, yeah. Again, I'm reading it now and I'm thinking, would would I want to read this to a child? Would they find it OK that their picnic could be disturbed? They all run away to their car. This is very time specific and they don't look back. They just yeah. drive off.
1: But Isn't that what kids like? Oh, you know, they love all that, don't they? I think, a hand coming out from the ground. I think it's down to
0: interpretation, isn't it? It's a bit like watching a scary programme, you know, Doctor Who. Yeah. If you can go behind the sofa and know that's a safe place, yeah. then yeah, you're yeah, fine. Yeah, but if
1: you've got Ted Hughes as your father, <laughs> banging a drum. It's It is quite but, an image. Like the, the Iron Man, he's, he, he is terrifying when you first meet him. But then once he falls into that pit, you suddenly feel empathy for him and you feel like, oh my God, it, it, this... He hasn't done anything wrong apart from eat a few tractors. (laughs) That's true. And in fact,
0: the little boy says that, doesn't he? Hogarth says he felt sad, even though he'd been the one sort of Mm. saying, I know what it is he wants, let's set the trap with metal, Mm. and then understands that that was a sad thing.
1: Yeah.
0: And when he comes back... he is then sort of rehabilitated by being fed accessible iron in the form of a scrapyard. And, you know, I think that's... But that's not the end of the book.
1: No, very much not. not the end of the
0: book. Because then you get this weird sort of eclipse of the sun, which turns out to contain a a, a bat angel dragon creature, which falls heavily on the whole of Australia. And this is where it's one of those... Details I was talking about how you have to be really specific because this dragony thing falls on Australia, but is supported by mountain ranges. Not sure geography is hopeless. I'm not sure what mountain anyway. Supported by mountain ranges, so there is a tiny gap under which people can live, but they have a scaly sky. They have this underside of dragon sky. But then he says, "But of course, anyone who was on top of the mountain was killed," <laughs> and that again is one of those pick up details, isn't it? That you can imagine. Nicholas or is saying, what happened to anyone who was on the mountain?
1: They died. They died. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Daddy, no, please stop the drum. Yes. (laughs) The drum is going to be so... Can we not have Roald Dahl tonight? (laughs) Shut up. Yes, Roald Dahl is like relief after...
0: (laughs) (laughs) So the Iron Man and the Bat Angel Dragon thing end up in conflict and in fact have a sort of roast off, basically, Mm. don't they?
1: Yeah, well, the Iron the Man sun. lies on a, a, a bed of fire until he almost melts Yeah. and challenges the big dragon bat thing <laughs> to go and lie on the sun. And if he can do it as long as he can, then, uh, you know, then yeah. he'll have won.
0: Yeah, which, which he doesn't, he
1: which doesn't he doesn't, know. which he doesn't. But that goes on for a, a while, doesn't it? Yes. They keep, keep going back to, to try and melt themselves. Yes. <laughs> yes. See, it's old, isn't it? It's <laughs> Even as we're talking about it. I mean, yeah, it's, this is it a, feels
0: strange. This is a really odd story. But then the dragon concedes defeat and then admits... No
1: one's going to read this now, is They do. Giving it all away.
0: When the dragon concedes defeat, he admits that he was lured to earth by the exciting sounds of battle, the exciting sounds of men making war against man. So there's a tiny bit of... I mean, I don't want to do it down because it's genuine and I think... A child would pick up the message more clearly. It's sort of anti-war propaganda, which mm. is absolutely fine and good. But at some point they try and dispatch the dragon by using tanks and they say you know human machinery couldn't defeat it. The ending is is an odd one where the dragon says, you know, I suppose there's nothing left for me now. I'll just have to go away otherwise you know I'm just lost in space or I'm just making the music of the spheres. I think Ted.
1: Where did that <laughs> I beg come from pardon, Ted? <laughs> the music of the spheres. Yes
0: which he says is strange and beautiful Problem? space music yeah that lulls humankind into not a false what sense Ted of security used for the
1: spheres music i wonder yeah it could be anything couldn't it with tad i'd love to know <laughs> but it is
0: given that this book it's a hard the prose is hard the all the um, allegorical senses of, of metal and granite and rock and there's no forgiving surface here everything is challenging and tricky to walk on and make sure you've got your shoes because you don't want barefoot anywhere here or it's hot Mm -hmm. or it's deep unimaginable space so the fact that children like that book the fact that you as a little one like this book presumably means that that makes the world in the book really crunchy and your world a little softer perhaps Mm -hmm. afterwards a nicer place to be
1: have to I say, I don't remember. <laughs> don't remember the second half. I'm, I'm pretty sure I finished it. <laughs> you know, the copy I've got I didn't.
0: rather wonderfully, um, this is obviously a second-hand copy. Uh, at the end of it, some oh. little one has written finished underneath oh. the last picture and then started 18th of the 3rd, 89, and finished 21st of the 3rd. 89. Right.
1: I love that. I might start doing that completed. Would you write that in every book? I might do, yeah.
0: Would you finish every book though?
1: I'd be more likely. Do you, if you start a book and you're not enjoying it, at what point will you give up or would you give up or would you plow on? Sometimes
0: I think, how are they going
1: to end this?
0: And I skip to the end. And if I like the ending, you're joking. I read the rest of the book. You're joking. Yeah. you
1: Can't do that.
0: Well, from now on, I can't do that. That's
1: outrageous. It's been serving me well so, so far. So you—you'll skip to the end, read the end. Yes. <laughs> if you like the end, you'll go back.
0: Yes, yes, Joanna. Not all the time, but if it's a book, I think well, you've
1: ruined it. Then
0: no, you see, I—that's obviously my my particular characteristic is I like to know what's the worst that could happen, and then I can deal with it. That's nice. Yeah. Or I think I can deal with it. That is complete. But this is not every book. Some books I just think, I can't imagine what's going to happen here. And what a delightful journey. But others I think, what are you going to do with this? Yeah. What are you going to do? So having discovered performing, when you went to drama school... Was, was that a confirmation or was drama school another school you had to get through?
1: Mm-hmm. No, I think I was in the right place. It felt like I was on the right track, but they kept trying to make me do Shakespeare and, <laughs> you know, Lady Beth and things like that. And I, I was like, I'm, I'm only interested in the comedy. And I went to see the head of the school and explained, oh, uh, no, I, I'm only here for the comedy. And he went, okay. And then gave me Lady Macbeth, because they want to stretch you. They want like a fully rounded actor. But I thought if you love something and you're good at something, surely it's better to get even better at that one thing than be sort of mediocre at everything. (laughs) That was my sort of...
0: I'm split here. I I totally agree. But I also kind of want to see a comedy Lady Macbeth.
1: Yes. Well, you could have done if you'd been to East 15. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> but there's also something with drama school and I speak as a veteran Royal Central that, oh did um, you went to Central I went to Central? Central but you know they've got to do something with you for three years I don't know how long yeah, your course true. was but yeah, it's quite years, long yeah yeah. yeah.
1: so yeah. you know yeah. and you can't throw beanbags around for three years luckily not or do animal study <laughs> did you do larva no mm. no You're lucky
0: <laughs> we did animal study did you have to do that
1: yes Picking oh. up what animal were you
0: well, ultimately, for the showing, as we were encouraged to call it, I was some sort of cat because it mainly meant lying down. Yeah. Stretching your Clever. claws. Yeah. I yeah. went for a sloth. And with, with characters, because obviously this is just going to sound like ridiculous girl, mm. but I, do, I think your your characters are just, they're absolutely breathtaking in the fact that, first of all, they are utterly recognisable and yet they're not but also they they have a hint of something wild about them all of them all of yeah. them even even liz you know yeah. has a sort of wildness and other they don't care
1: what people think it must be and that i think people are always thrilled by people that do not care what people think because everyone would like to be like that really we'd all like to completely speak our mind and not care what people think because everyone does a little bit deep down I think that's what's thrilling about and that's what they've all got in common. I love playing characters like that. Yeah. But you've got to give some credit to the writers because, you know...
0: <laughs> well, with Mandy, the writer is you, so that's easy. That's true, it's
1: me. Yeah, so I deserve all the credit. Really. Well done,
0: you. Yeah, but also, I would imagine with Philomena Kunk that, that she began in in uh, Charlie's head, but she absolutely ended up with you. I mean, it would be impossible to separate out now. And presumably you contribute to her anyway.
1: Yeah, in the um, the interviews... With the experts, I'm allowed to sort of run riot, which I love, you know, because you could really, you know, trap someone. <laughs> I think that's what people enjoy. That they like to see people squirm. They like to think, how is this person going to answer this Absolutely. question? Absolutely. How, how are we, they going to get out of this? I don't want too much daylight on the magic yeah.
0: here. But what what, yeah. what are they told beforehand? Just answer a question. You know, very it might little.
1: Be... Okay. Um, they're asked if they've seen the show. now.
0: Mm.
1: And I think the really big boffins generally haven't what their kids have. So they said, oh, my daughter told me to do this. So <laughs> they never know what questions they're going to get in advance. And they don't get to meet me beforehand. They only sort of see me in character. So I'll, I'll walk in and just start interviewing them. But the interviews go on for so long. So we've got a good chance to sort of lull people into a false sense of security <laughs> with normal questions, which is kind of normal, and then start putting in the mad ones because it's sort of too late for them to walk off the show by that time. There's almost,
0: You don't often get to see a synapse leap on someone's face, but you can see the synapse leap when they're thinking, was that the question
1: yeah. she just asked? People's reactions are just gold. Really, they are. Yeah. But it's that same
0: thing, isn't it, that you were talking about as a 15-year-old, discovering that if you're someone else...
1: You can do anything. It appoints
0: you, doesn't it, in a different place.
1: Yeah, if you're an idiot, people give you a lot of leeway. It's sort of like... Do you remember Mrs Merton, Carolina heard? I mean, if you're an old woman and you're saying something rude... You just go along with it because it's an old lady. Exactly. <laughs> it's a similar thing, I think, with Conk. It's, she's just a sort of naive idiot. But it's a, so you can't shout and make a fuss. You've just got to answer the question. But also,
0: it's it's it is it is a brave character. You know, she is for you. You know, the the, the shield of her is pretty yeah. oh, absolutely. pretty big. Yeah. yeah, pretty big.
1: Yeah, but it doesn't feel it feels incredibly freeing to play that character. And, and know that you can't do anything wrong. That's Imagine true. living like that. Can't do anything right. You could yawn in someone's face. It's fine. It's true. And you have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I <know. laughs> That
0: is a, a joyful character. But then they all are. Um, what, are you, what are you doing at the moment?
1: Trying to write. Okay. Slowly going mad on my own at home. Okay, Writing.
0: what do you do as displacement activity?
1: Oh, I'll eat, I'll Google things, I'll go down wormholes. I'll tell myself that something is research, a piece of music, a clip, and then just disappear off. And then I'll come to about five hours later and think, oh, the day's
0: gone, I haven't done anything again. Why, it's like holding up a mirror to myself. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly the same. I tidy things as well. Yeah, tidy. tidy. I'm not a tidy person by default.
1: I'll just do this one thing, then I'll start. Exactly so. Yeah.
0: Exactly so. But I'm glad we have filled this joysome time together. And thank you. I I do want people to read this book. And Well, they're not going to
1: now you've told them the ending.
0: Listen. The people hearing this are going to give it to unsuspecting seven-year-olds. You won't have a clue. So That's we're same. fine with that. Yeah, put a drum. Yeah, and and Jesse gets it next. but And I'm also going to tell him to write in the back when he started and
1: finished. That's a great idea, I love isn't that.
0: it? I'm going to do that. Although now you know how I cheat to the end. <laughs> Might not have the same heft. But thank you. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you so much for listening. This has been Twice Upon a Time with me, Janet Ellis. The producer is Caroline Raphael. Recording and post production by John Wakefield and Diggory Waite. All the titles mentioned are on the podcast show page. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Twice Upon a Pod for pictures of our guests and their brilliant books. And if you like the show, do recommend to a friend or leave us a review. The executive producer is Claire Broughton. And Twice Upon a Time is a hat trick podcast.